Which book has impacted the world more than any other? Well, I think even a a non-Christian would probably have to say the Bible. Right across the world, the Bible has transformed whole nations. You just have to look at the uh, the recent coronation of Charles III to see how, how deeply the Bible has embedded our culture. But perhaps we can be even more specific than that. Uh, Which book has most impacted the world? Perhaps we can say it's the book of Romans. Paul's letter to the church there, it could be argued, has impacted the world more than any other piece of writing. Someone has said almost every biblical, every revival of biblical religion has been associated with a new understanding of Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, That that doesn't mean new in the sense that uh, no one has thought of it this way before, but new as in coming to understand this letter rightly in the way it was first intended. So the book of Romans is a hugely important book to know and understand. As a church, we looked together at the first seven chapters way back in 2018. Then during lockdown in 2020, I preached slowly through chapter 8. And today we're returning to this great book. And what I want to do today is to remind us why the book was written And then next week the plan is to begin at chapter 9 and work our way through to the end of the book over the next few months. And I want to start today with the question of why Paul writes Romans. We know that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Romans that we have in front of us. Uh, We know that from the very first word of the letter. But why did he write it? Now, it would be true to, to, to answer that question of why Paul wrote Romans by saying he was inspired to by the Holy Spirit. That is, that is true, but it's not the whole answer. Uh, to help you understand what I mean, take the book of Galatians as an example. The book of Galatians was written to address false teaching in the churches in Galatia. It's so urgent that Paul doesn't begin with his usual greetings where he thanks God for the faith of those he's writing to. Rather, he just dives straight in with, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you and are turning to a different gospel. And so if someone asked, why did Paul write Galatians? Well, yes, he wrote it because he was inspired to write it by the Holy Spirit. It's a true answer, but it's not a full answer. He wrote it under the inspiration of the Spirit to address a very pressing problem in the church in Galatia. Uh, And to miss that would be to fail to fully grasp the letter. And it is the same with Romans. Romans is the greatest exposition of the gospel ever written. But did Paul have a particular purpose in writing it? Did he just sit down one day and think, well, it it would be nice to send those Christians in Rome a summary of the gospel? That is how this book is often approached. But we're missing something if we don't see that there are particular reasons why Paul writes this letter. Uh, Not reasons we have to dream up ourselves, but reasons we can see from the letter itself. 
And those reasons impact not just why Paul writes, but what he writes. For example, there's hardly anything in Romans about the return of Christ, even though that was vitally important for Paul. And yet that's not a doctrine he feels the need to emphasise to this particular church at this particular time. So it's important to know why Paul is writing because it helps us understand what he includes and what he leaves out. It's also important to know why Paul is writing because these reasons are things that are important for us today. That They're important for any church, they're important for us as a church. And if we can see what these reasons are, it will help us as we approach this letter If we can bear in mind that Romans isn't just a magnificent summary of the gospel, but it's written to deal with two very pressing issues that were pressing for for them back then, but are also pressing for us as a church in 2024. Or here's another angle to approach it from. Uh, There's a question you've maybe never thought about, but what are two things that cause ministers to lie awake at night? Uh, that's a question that, that uh, I read someone addressing during the week. And here's how uh, the author answered it. Uh, two things, unity and mission. If a minister ends up lying awake at night thinking about issues in the church, what are they likely to be? One is likely to be unity within the church. and The other is the need to reach those outside the church. And those, uh, those I trust are not just concerns for ministers, they're, they're big concerns for any serious Christian. Unity, how can we make sure the church holds together? And mission, how can we reach those who are still outside? Uh, and unity and mission are actually Paul's two big concerns as he writes this letter. Uh, firstly, unity, how can we from different backgrounds with different questions about things hold together as a church? How can new people uh, be welcomed in and, and feel part of the body so that it's not us and them? But then mission, how can we reach out to those around us with the gospel? Those are Paul's two big concerns as he writes the letter to the Romans. And we'll take each of them in turn as our two main points this morning. Uh, So firstly, and we'll spend most of our time on the first need, which is unity. Why is unity such a big concern for Paul as he writes to Rome? Uh, And where do we see that in the letter itself? Uh, Well, Acts 18 verse 2 gives us some helpful background It tells us that when Paul is in Corinth, he meets a man called Aquila and his wife Priscilla. They were converted Jews who were from Rome, but now they were in Corinth. And why were they in Corinth? Well, Luke tells us, Luke who writes Acts tells us, Acts 18.2, Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So the church in Rome had been founded presumably by converted Jews Of course, Roman Catholicism's claim is that the church in Rome was founded by Peter, though the biblical evidence would suggest otherwise. Uh, Paul says, we we read it earlier in 15 verse 20, that he doesn't want to build in someone else's foundation. So it's unlikely that Paul would be announcing plans to go and minister to the church in Rome if it had been founded by Peter. So Peter's involvement in the beginnings of the church in Rome is unlikely. 
But what we do know from scripture is that on the day of Pentecost there were visitors from Rome in Jerusalem. And so we have good reason for thinking that some of those visitors from Rome who were converted as Peter preached on the day of Pentecost that they would have gone back to Rome and become the first members of the church there. The spread of the gospel in the New Testament is to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Uh, And one of the reasons for that is that the Jews already had all the pieces of the jigsaw. Uh, They just didn't have them in the right order. As we'll see from chapter 9, next time Paul can say that to the Jews belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. So so the Jews had all the pieces of the jigsaw. Uh, Paul says in chapter 3, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. So because they had all the pieces already, when the gospel was preached, it it was like it all came together. uh, For some of them at least, uh, and they were saved but the Gentiles didn't have the, all the pieces of the jigsaw, so, so Paul and the other apostles had to start further back. So the founder members of the church in Rome were most likely Jews. But then, as we're told in Acts, Claudius expels the Jews from Rome. Uh, from what one Roman historian says, this is probably to do with the uproar caused by the preaching of the gospel. But if it's about the preaching of the gospel, if it's about Jesus, why, why does Rome expel the, the Jews and not the Christians? Well, well, the Romans weren't very good at distinguishing between the two, especially at the start. They, they just thought of Christianity as some sort of sect of Ju- Judaism. And so they, they responded to the, the uproar by putting all the Jews out of the city, including converted Jews like Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, And Aquila and Priscilla, they go to Corinth, uh, likely others do as well, uh, while others go to different places. And what you're left with is that the churches in Rome now only contain Gentiles. Uh, By the way, I did deliberately say churches there, plural. In Romans 16.5, Paul mentions Aquila and Priscilla and says, Greet also the church in their house which tells us that there were other churches meeting in other places in Rome. So Paul is here writing uh, not just to to one big congregation, but to to lots of different congregations in the city of Rome. And so as I say, because the Jews have been kicked out of the city, the churches in Rome, which had been started by Jews, became exclusively Gentile. But then... Fast forward five years, Emperor Claudius dies, the Jews are able to return. Uh, Paul likely writes shortly after this, and he's clearly writing to a church that contains both Jews and Gentiles. Uh, Probably majority Gentiles, but there are Jews there. Uh, He says, chapter 2, 17, if you call yourself a Jew, while in 11, 13, he says, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. So a church founded by Jews becomes exclusively Gentile and then the Jews come back. Why is that important? We'll just think about what it would have looked like in practice. When the church starts, you have a a converted Jew called Joseph, who's the church treasurer. You have another converted Jew, Mary, who's coordinating the church lunches. 
But then the Jews are put out of Rome by the emperor. So Joseph is replaced as treasurer by a Gentile Christian called Julius. A Gentile woman called Lydia takes over coordinating the lunches. The elders are now all Gentiles too. But what happens when five years later the Jews come back? Well, Joseph probably assumes that he's going to take over as treasurer again. Mary immediately starts planning out church lunches for the next six months. Six months, but, but Julius and Lydia, who have been doing the job in the meantime, are like, hang on a minute, hello, we're still here. Uh, and then you have Jewish elders coming back and having to try and get alongside Gentile elders. Uh, and it turns out the Gentile elders have been having session meetings in places that, that the Jews would never have dreamed of going because of, of the food that was served there. Well, what would people do today? Today people would say, well, it's probably best just to split and have one church for Jewish Christians and another church for Gentile Christians. But for Paul, that is not an option. The unity of the body of Christ must be reflected in local congregations. But they are going to need to work at getting along. And so no wonder Paul writes in chapter 15, verse 7, verse 7, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. It's not surprising that he says in chapter 14, uh, verse 13, Therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. It explains why in chapter 12 he talks about the body working together in harmony. It explains why he spends so much time in chapters 9 to 11 dealing with the rejection of the gospel by the Jews by and large, explaining what that means for the Gentiles now and then talking about the future of the Jews. So Paul's first concern is unity. Hopefully we can see why it was such a pressing issue among the churches in Rome. And hopefully we also see it as a big priority for ourselves. Because similarly today the gospel brings together people who normally would not choose to spend time together. That is an amazing thing but it can also be a fragile thing. Because if there is a, a dispute, if there is controversy, it, it's like the, the fault lines are already built in. If there's some big dispute in Rome, there, there's already fault lines of Jew and Gentile and it won't take much for, for, them, to, for them to split. And so today, uh, Paul warns them in chapter 14 verse 20 that arguing over minor things could destroy the work of God. Isn't that something to think about we think how could the work of God be destroyed it could be destroyed by Christians arguing over things that don't really matter and so the book of Romans will help us firstly to be aware of the danger uh, and then secondly to fight against it so Paul's first concern as he writes this letter to the Romans is unity his second concern the second need they have is evangelistic enthusiasm evangelistic enthusiasm maybe if, if, if your phone has a little EE at the top you can think this week when you see it of not whatever EE normally stands for think of evangelistic enthusiasm Paul is writing to people that he has never met. He, he tells them in chapter 1 verse 13 that he's often intended to come to them but has so far been prevent, prevented. 
He doesn't spell out the reasons why he's been prevented until chapter 15 where he says, this is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. To sum it up, it's because he's been preaching elsewhere, preaching in places where Christ has not yet been named. He's wanted to come, he's, he's prayed that he would be able to come. It would have been nice for him to go somewhere like Rome with established churches but he has responsibilities elsewhere, trying by God's grace to get new churches off the ground. Maybe you for that feeling too. Well, it would be nice to go somewhere else, but, but God has called me here. And now he can say in chapter 15, verse 19, from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So Paul has been doing pioneering missionary work. He's been preaching the gospel where it hasn't already been preached. So why is he now coming to Rome where where there are lots of churches where the gospel has been preached? Is Paul changing his strategy? No, he, he tells them, chapter 15, verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. Boys and girls, do you know what, what the Spanish flag looks like? Well, maybe you could colour in a, a Spanish flag. But Paul is going to Spain. So Rome for Paul will be a stopping off point on his way to preaching the gospel in a new region. Uh, say we were thinking of planting a church in Carlisle. Uh, and a group of us wrote to a, a church in Dumfries that we'd never visited before. Uh, they, they'd heard of us but we hadn't met them. Uh, we told them that we hoped to stop off with them a bit on our way to Carlisle uh, as we sought to establish a new church. Well that's a, a little bit like what Paul's doing here. He, he writes to them and says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. And that phrase, be helped on my journey, is very important. It's almost a, a technical term. He's saying that he's looking for them to partner with him in his mission to Spain. He's almost saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to bring direct debit forms with me. He's wanting them to be a supporting church for this new missionary venture. Uh, so it's not simply we're going to stop off in Dumfries, but we're going to actually ask the church in Dumfries to, to support us as we go on through to Carlisle. The illustration doesn't quite work. Of course, Paul's writing as an individual. Uh, he's writing as an apostle who's not permanently based in any one place. So it's maybe more like the apostle Paul has, has planted our church in Stranraer. Uh, now he writes to a church in Dumfries and, and asks them to support him as he goes to visit them and then goes on to support a church in Carlisle. Sometimes people wonder why Paul uses the phrase my gospel in chapter 2 verse 16. My gospel. Why does Paul say my gospel not just the gospel? Uh, Some even conclude that Paul is uh, teaching a different gospel from Jesus. A different gospel from some of the other apostles. But that couldn't be further from the truth. It's just a way of saying You don't know me, but this is the gospel that I preach. The church of Rome had heard of Paul 
And they may well have heard bad things as well as good things. And so this letter gives them the opportunity to set out the gospel he proclaims so that they will see that it is the same gospel that they believe. If Paul had written to Rome and told them that that he preached a different gospel from them, that would have killed any chance of them supporting him. So that's one reason why he sets out the gospel in such detail in this letter. In a way, it's his credentials as a gospel preacher. Same as us as a church. If we were to support a missionary somewhere, we want to be sure. Are they preaching the gospel? What are they actually going out and saying? But there's a related reason, which I think is an even more important reason is because Paul wants to get the church in Rome excited about the gospel and eager to send them out uh, to preach in new places. And so when he says in chapter 1 verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel also to you, one of the reasons is so that they would catch the same sense of eagerness about the gospel. It's one of the reasons he tells them in the well-known words of chapter 1 that we're going to look at this evening that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. He's planning to go to Spain in that confidence and he wants them to have that same confidence and so that they'll support him as he goes. He tells them that he's not ashamed of the gospel because he doesn't want them to be ashamed of the gospel. He tells them that he believes it's the power of God for salvation because he wants that for them too. He wants them to believe that too. So yes, Romans is a brilliant explanation of the gospel, but it's not written in a vacuum. Paul wouldn't have written the same letter to Corinth or Ephesus or Philippi In fact, we know he didn't because we have those letters that he wrote to those churches. So Rome is a letter written with two very specific concerns in mind. The need for unity in the body and the need to stir up a vision for mission. And those are two very relevant needs for us today. And so I hope this will all give you a sense of anticipation as we come uh, and get back into this book. Do you see unity in the church and mission to those outside as important things? Well, the Apostle Paul did, and that's why he wrote this book. So two important goals. But they can seem like they're goals that have little in common. One is about the church's inner life, the other is about its outreach. One is about peace within, the other is about partnership to take the gospel outside. But actually both these needs are addressed by a fuller understanding of the gospel. So having seen it in our, in our two main points today, what Paul's aims are, we want to see finally and just as we close that the solution to them both is the gospel. The solution to them both is the gospel. A proper understanding of the gospel is what's needed to build unity inside the church and to motivate us to reach those who are still outside. If we rightly understand the gospel, then it humbles us, it cuts the knees off human pride and so it fosters unity within. And it's only the gospel that will cause us to reach across human barriers as we see that Jesus came for all. Do you know that it would be possible to to want to see this church grow for the wrong reasons? 
because any group of people will be concerned for its own survival. That, that's just natural desire. It's not necessarily a spiritual desire. So it's actually possible to want to see a church grow for selfish reasons. If we're just interested in our own survival, if we just want a few more people filling pews on a Sunday. So how will we know if our desire to see the church grow is something more than that? How will we know if it's a, a supernatural desire rather than just a natural one? Well, only if our outreach isn't limited to people like us. Only a, a real belief in the gospel will give us a desire to see the church being full of people who aren't like us, humanly speaking. Or to put it another way, there's actually no such thing as a church that's concerned for evangelism but not unity, or a church that's concerned for unity but not evangelism. Because if the gospel isn't lived out in our relationships with each other, there will be rivalries and backbiting and we'll be at each other's throats and evangelism will soon disappear off the table. And anyone who somehow happens to stumble into the church will soon sense that, that tension and they'll go elsewhere. If a church isn't concerned about unity, evangelism won't last long. But on the other hand, if a church in effect says we're just going to be concerned about unity inside and we'll not bother about reaching those outside, we'll leave that to other churches. Well, that church has actually lost a belief in the power of the gospel. And if we lose a belief in the power of the gospel to transform lives outside the church, we'll lose a belief in the power of the gospel to transform lives inside the church. If we start thinking of the gospel as something for us in here but not for those out there, soon we'll start to think that the gospel is only for certain people in here and not for that person there or that person there and there will be factions and divisions. So church unity and evangelism, they're, they're, they seem like separate topics but they're closely related and both will wither and die without a confidence in the power of the gospel to transform lives. And so may our prayer as we come back to this book be the same as I believe Paul's prayer would have been as he wrote it. That the glorious gospel presented here would motivate us to bring this message to those around us. And at the same time build us up in love. Someone has said that the purpose of the letter to the Romans is that the glory of God would be seen in a united evangelistic church humbled together under grace. The God would be glorified through a united evangelistic church humbled together under grace. What a great thing to pray for as we get back into this great book. Amen. We'll close then with a great missionary psalm, Psalm 67c, starting on page 140. Psalm 67c, starting on page 140. O God, to us show mercy and bless us in thy grace. Why? Why? So that we can keep the gospel to ourselves, so that we can have a, a thriving church fellowship here in our own little group. No, verse 2, that so thy way most holy on earth may soon be known and unto every people thy saving grace be shown. 
the church in Rome would only really grow when, when the Jews were content for there to be more Gentiles in the church than them. And when converted Gentiles in the church would be happy uh, for them to be more converted Jews than there were uh, their fellow Gentiles. And we need to be the same. So Psalm 67c, tune 231, will stand as we sing praise. <laughs>